please turn with me in your Bible to the letter of Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter for the church. Now, if you were part of the church of Ephesus and you received God's word to you in this letter, you would want to hear the whole letter read in one sitting, one sitting, and then you'd say, read it again. And you would keep reading it. I'm sure, uh, can you just imagine being the first church to receive this? And then as you hear the letter read, you would want to pause at different parts and reflect on. And so we're in chapter 4, and we're going to really slow down. We're looking at one verse this morning, Ephesians 4, 25. It's important, though, to read this one verse in light of the whole letter. There's a theme running throughout Ephesians of God's gracious work, the, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, to unite a people, Jew and Gentile, and corporately to make them one in Christ. And the letter has two major halves, about equal portions. First three chapters are the doctrinal statements of what Christ has accomplished, what God's done for us. And then in chapter four through six are the outworkings of the gospel that are to be in our lives, the practical part of church life and relationships. Because remember, Ephesians is all about becoming who we are in Christ. It's all about becoming and changing, being transformed. That's what the whole letter is explaining. And so we're going to just stop and look at one verse specifically dealing with our speech, our words toward one another. What this reminds us, our new identity in Christ is that we're to speak to one another in new ways. So let's listen to Ephesians 4, 25. This is God's word for us. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Since it's only one verse, I'm going to read it again, and you tell me, I'm going to leave out some words. You fill them in, okay? Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Very good. Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Now, you you would think that with the history of children's literature around the world, we would have eradicated lying by now. Surely, we've scared kids half to death about lying. All the way back to the 6th century in the ancient uh, Greece, we have the Aesop's fables commending virtues. He wrote the famous, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. The shepherd boy who kept his flock a little way, you know, a little distance from the village, he thought it'd be fun to trick the villagers. So he lied to them and cried wolf. And they all came out and he's chuckling at their expense. So he does it again. And again, eventually, a wolf really does come in the fable and eats. Well, he goes and he cries wolf, and no one came. None of the villagers came. The wolf eats all his sheep. And the fable ends with this sentence. This kind of thing happens to people who lie. This is a two-year six-year-old. He even, even when... They do tell the truth, no one believes them. 
Now, many of these fables have become iconic, right? The Italian writer Carlo Collodi, he wrote The Adventures of Pinocchio. What is more iconic than a lengthening nose, right, to remind us of dishonesty? Um, so I've discovered, and I got really into this actually, what countries and continents talk about or fables have written poems or songs or books or fairy tales about lying and the benefit of honesty, and they are literally over the map. I found stories from Africa, France, and England, um, of course, America, and many places of the country. So you name it, there's a poem out there encouraging kids, warning them about lying. So the conclusion that we can draw from this, I think, is that universally lying is condemned. Uh, you, you don't want to be called a liar. I, I, it seems like, you know, from the, at least from the literature, right? But what is, what is um, but another observation is, it must be the most common sin that we struggle with, even at a young age, is lying. Now, the Bible was not written like Aesop's fable. Scripture is not a series of moralistic stories to make us good people. Christianity is not about helping us be better. It's a rescue religion. The Bible is not a book of rules, though there are rules in it, and if living by them does shape our lives in profound ways. But the Bible's not a book about us. The Bible is about God, what he has done for us in Christ. The Bible is the true story of the whole world, a divine narrative, the true story of a dramatic account of creation and our rebellion against God and his plan to redeem a people and bring them safely home. So when God gives us a command to put off lying and speak the truth, it's because you're part of a better story. It's because you're a follower of Christ. You're, you're part of this grand story that began with God creating us and making us in his image to reflect him on earth. And he's adopted us and called us to his own. And he sent his son to rescue us and his spirit to indwell in us. All this, like the catechism says, if you're a Christian, we are not our own, but belong body and soul and life and death to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's Christianity. So God's goal for our Christian lives is to be conformed into the image of his Son, to be renewed in our minds and hearts, to be like God in how we think and act and our words we say. So if you have your Bible open, Ephesians 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So if you're a follower of Christ, you've been set apart. You're part of a new family to care for one another, to speak the truth to each other. And we're to put off things that displease God, that don't, aren't characteristic of God, because we're to imitate God because we're in Christ. So the, if you were to take a main point from our sermon today, it'd be this. Putting off lying and speaking the truth because we're united to Christ and each other. That's, that's what we're going to emphasize today is putting off lying, speaking the truth because we're united to Christ and to each other. Now, if you're looking at verse 25, you'll notice through the section here, it's, it begins in Ephesians, a very down-to-earth, nitty-gritty discussions about things like so these characteristics, we're to put off, there's more coming. Uh, it begins with lying, but then we're going to put off anger and stealing and grieving the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at these in the following sermons. 
And we're not just to put those off, but we're also to more, be more and more like Christ, put on Christ's likeness of speaking the truth, controlling anger, honesty at work, kindness in speech, filled with the Holy Spirit, and having control over our sexuality. The therefore, in verse 25, reminds us to look back. Look back to what was before. Last week, we were introduced to the language of putting off and putting on. It comes from verse 22 to 24. Take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. So in that definitive act, that once-for-all work of being justified by faith through, through grace, we've been clothed with Christ. We've been garmented by the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian, your old garments of sin were removed. You, you were, you were re, they were replaced. So the old self is that former you, ruled by sin. That old self is a former you. If you're a Christian, it's a former you ruled by sin. And the new self is that current you who's been rescued, clothed with Christ. That's the new self. And we're to reflect this in our speech. We're to, remember Ephesians is about becoming who we are in Christ. So this put off, put on is a reminder. It's an image of clothing. Clothing tells people who you are. Now, if I brought, I used to live in, we used to live in uh, North Africa, Morocco. If I brought one of my Moroccan friends here in his traditional clothing, and he stood right next to me, you'd be like, wow, those two guys are from two different parts of the world. <laughs> clothing identifies you. It's not Midwestern. It's a different part of the world. Um, I doubt it. If you've ever been to a wedding, I doubt you've elbowed your, you know, your spouse saying, who's the bride? Now, I know they're changing customs, so, all right. But generally, you know who the bride is by what they wear. It stands out. So clothing is who you are. It's where you're from. It's what you're going to do. It's why you're here. So in Scripture, the image, the exchange of provision of garments portrays God's redemptive initiative. And God's first merciful act in the Bible is he exchanged Adam and Eve's clothing, this inadequate fig leaf garment. He replaced it with clothing that he provided for them. And right throughout Scripture, there's a lot of image of clothing. Think of the priests in the Old Testament. They would put off their ordinary garments, and they'd be clothed in sacred garments to administer the sacrifice in the temple. There's a, in the book of Zechariah, he's given a, a heavenly scene of a high priest, Joshua, who was wearing a filthy garment, okay? And in this scene, he's not able to be present before the Lord, and he's being accused by his enemies, Satan. And that's when the angel of the Lord spoke these words in the dream or the vision, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to him, see, I have removed your iniquity, from you, and I will clothe you with festive clothes. <clears throat> so clothes reflect something. So dirty clothes, that former self, the garment we wore, reflects our sin. We soiled our garments by our rebellion against God. And this rich uh, symbolism of being clothed in Christ 
is realized only by God's provision. Only God can give you salvation. You can't clothe yourself. We've, we've tried that in the Bible. That doesn't work. Only God can provide what we need. And this was really the hope of Old Testament prophets as they were expecting the Messiah to come. Isaiah said this about God's people. They're going to exult one day because he's going to clothe them with garments of salvation and array them in a robe of righteousness. That was the hope what God was going to do to his people, clothe them this way. So redemption is symbolized by an exchange of garments. Uh, that this is what we mean by the doctrine of justification by faith. It teaches that our, our sin was imputed to Christ. Like, like he wore our dirty clothes on the cross. He paid that penalty of what that soiling meant and the wrath of God that it deserved. And his righteousness, you know, because he lived a perfect life before God, an obedient life, and, and he died on the cross in our place. This righteousness it was credited to us. We, we were clothed with Christ. It's a, it's a double exchange that happened. This clothing happened. So to say Christ is our clothing is to say our ultimate, as a Christian, my ultimate identity is Jesus Christ. He's my ultimate, that's what I'm wearing, is found in Christ. And likewise, as our mind is being renewed, as we hear this, we're clothed with Christ, we will imitate Christ because that's who you are. You, you'll strive to walk in Christ, to, to take Jesus on, to dress Jesus, if you will, in every way of your life because that is, you are dressed in Christ. You know, our thoughts, our words and deeds should reflect, imitate who we are in Christ. So we are to put on his virtues, his actions, how he interacted with people, we're called to live in the light as he is in the light. <clears throat> in the first century, a, a leper was forced to wear torn clothes so he could be easily identified as someone who's not welcome in the place of worship. He was to be outcast. He was to be separated, and they were to identify him as unclean. But when that same leper is healed, he goes to the priest, and he's pronounced unclean. He is then redressed with clean clothes. And could you imagine that leper, can you imagine him putting on that old torn garment when he was leper? Well, that's what we do when we lie. We're putting on what we were clothed with. That's what speech is. We're wearing again what identified the old man, the unredeemed Patrick, the, the part of me that <clears throat> didn't please the Lord. But that should no longer be true because I'm a Christian now. And Ephesians is all about becoming who we are in Christ. So our verses point out that there is a temptation <clears throat> to go back to the old self, the way of relating to people through lies. But praise God, because not only am I positionally true in Christ, as clothed in Christ, but also he's given me the Holy Spirit to see it worked out in my daily life, like my speech. <clears throat> and this is the good news we have, because the Holy Spirit is going to renew our minds in this. So let's be renewed and, and with two reflections. First off, putting off lying, and then second, speak the truth. So all because we're united to Christ. So the first command is negative, to put off lying, and the second one is positive, to speak the truth, all motivated because you're united to Christ and each other. So first, let's Let's look at this. We're told to put off lying. In Proverbs 6, the Lord hates six saints. 
Actually, there's seven that are detestable to him. <clears throat> Two of those seven things are said to be a lying tongue, and a second one was a lying witness who gives false testimony. So why do you think God detests lying? Why does he hate it so much? Well, remember the backstory of lying. Where, where did lying even come from? Genesis 3 says this. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God says, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die. That's a lie right there, Satan. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan came in the form of a talking snake to lie to God's first people, people made in God's image, people who were to reflect God in the world, to, to be his image bearers on the earth. And Satan, like a wolf in sheep's clothing, came to them, or a snake, and spoke, and he spread lies about God. <clears throat> so this one short conversation of lies plummeted the whole human race and all of creation into death and decay and judgment. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the world is the way it is through lying. It ruined humanity and all creation. It just took a lie. I mean, Satan didn't put a gun to her head and say, hey, eat this fruit, I'll kill you. He lied to her and Adam, and, and that's what we experience now with the fallenness of the human race. So think of uh, how Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Jewish leaders were opposing him, and they wouldn't accept his teaching. They wouldn't accept Jesus' teaching, his word. So Jesus told them, you don't accept my word because you cannot listen to it. You are of your father, the devil, John 8. And you want to carry out what your father desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. God hates lying because it's not in his character to lie. It's the anti-God. Titus 1.2 says this, God cannot lie. Romans 3.4, let God be true even though everyone is a liar. James 1, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. There's no deception in God, no deceiving anyone. He is true. That's in his nature. Lying is characteristic of the devil. He's the father of lies. In Romans 1, human depravity is described as exchanging truth of God for lies. That's what it means to be a fallen person, is that we have exchanged God for lies. So lying is very much a part of our fallen nature. It's the sin we all struggle with, even from early on. So let me just pause here and ask, what is lying? Well, simply, lying is affirming X when X is false. And there are other shades of lying common to man. 
pretense. We inflate our importance more than it's true. We inflate our culture more than we should. We inflate our, maybe our achievements. Uh, we exaggerate a story to be more impressive than we are. We tell half-truths, making them out to be the whole truth. You know, we, or we shade truth, some aspects of it. The ninth commandment in the Bible is a particular type of lying. It's lying about other people. <clears throat> and what God requires in the ninth commandment is that we would not lie or, or deceive or spread a false report, but that we would speak the truth. And we could take this to be a type of slander. Slander is a serious sin because it attempts to discredit or lower someone's reputation in your eyes. This can happen all the time in private conversations or online. You know, maybe even when you maybe disagree with a Christian uh, neighbor, you still need to represent them honestly. You still have to speak about them that's true from maybe a conversation you've had. You can't just go by hearsay. That is adding slander on slander or gossip. And God's condemning all this. We're, we're, we're not to misuse the name of our neighbor who was created in God's image. We're, we're to speak honestly about one another. So the tongue is a restless evil. And to lie about someone else directly impacts the well-being of church community. Proverbs 12, 18 graphically describes it like this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. One whose rash words are like sword thrusts. That, that's the danger of our words and our lying and our slander and the various ways of working. Now, um, if you're sitting here thinking, man, okay, whew, getting off easy this morning. I'm not a liar. Well, <clears throat> the, just remember, in the human heart, your lie detector machine is broken. Maybe some true serum could get it out, but that's only in the movies. So the lie detector of our heart is faulty. Jeremiah says this, the human heart, hearts are more deceitful than anything else. So our tendency to lie, or various components of it, is far greater than we realize. And this is something for all of us to come humbly, because God knows everything. You're not lying. You're not getting away with anything. God sees it all, and God will hold us accountable to this. Listen to Jesus' words from Matthew, very sobering warning. Jesus said this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You see, our words reveal us. Like the old farmer used to say, whatever the bucket brings up was already in the well. Our words only reveal what's going on in our hearts. And we're held accountable for our words. Because the biggest impact of lying as a Christian is that it distorts people's view of God. The biggest impact of lying as a Christian is that it distorts people's view of God. God. And that's why God takes us so seriously. God doesn't lie. So if a Christian lies or slanders or deceives or misrepresents, we end up misrepresenting God as a Christian, as a, as a bona fide, like I'm a follower of Christ, and then I'm speaking. So I'm representing God in that moment. 
And that's very offensive to God. That this person made in God's image, we're to imitate God. We're to, we're to reflect Christ, to be who we are. That this is what honors him and brings attention to him. And just think about it uh, like as a, just a public witness for a minute. Like if you see in your neighborhood a UPS person with a, their uniform and you think, oh, he's delivering packages to the home, to the homes. But what if it was a lie? What, what if he was dressed like a UPS driver, but he was stealing packages? Well, pretty soon, if that became the reputation, then you would, you would distrust the uniform. You would distrust the clothing of that person. And likewise, if you're known to you know, exaggerate and slander, how are people going to trust you when you Christ and the res- truth of the resurrection and the gospel? You see, it, you're representing these things. And this is kind of where we need to be people of truth because truth's at stake. And lies are deceiving and leading people astray from God. And the Lord's merciful to us uh, in, in a good way. When I was about eight years old, I was playing ball in the house, which you're not supposed to, right? And I broke my, um, a trophy my dad won, a hunting trophy. It was a Wyoming pronghorn. It was a really well-designed trophy. And it broke into pieces. And I thought, hmm, what if I hid that? Uh, you know, dusted it off and just kind of tossed it off. And, of course, five seconds, he gets home, he sees it's missing. He, I lie initially, and then he gets it out of me. And he meticulously glues it back together. It looks great. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that melted my heart so much was how gracious he was and loving and kind. And that's, a, that's the model for me of, when you think about how the Lord receives us when we've sinned, when we've lied, and to go and confess the truth. Sometimes we're embarrassed. Sometimes we're hesitant to do it. But God will receive us. This is what he's good at. And let the kindness of God lead us to repentance. And we haven't, just to remind you, we haven't put off lying until we speak the truth. You haven't put off lying until we speak the truth. Let me, let me talk about this second point. God calls us to live in the truth, to speak the truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. This is how you came to know Christ. You were taught in Jesus as truth is in Jesus. It means Jesus is reliable, faithful, true, firm, steadfast. Truth is being genuine. It's the opposite of falsehood. Truth is the way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When you came to see and believe Jesus as truly the Son of God, you were believing true things, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, fulfilled in Christ. The cross and his death and resurrection. These are true uh, teachings of Scripture. We, we come to truth. That's how we are saved. Ephesians uh, 1.13 said this, In him you also were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. That's how you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, is through the word of truth. So you are clothed in Christ. You're being clothed with truth. Everything about Jesus is true. Uh, God cannot lie. So we're, this is everything should be about us to be true. And that's why, <clears throat> but today, a lot of people are struggling. Who do you trust? Who do you believe? Um, and it seems so hard and confusing with uh, a lot of misinformation and various false religions and all sorts of ideas and contradictions. When Tim uh, Berners-Lee invented the World Wide Web 25 years ago, he could not have predicted how popular cats, cats would be. 
not truth, you know, not, not videos of truth, but video, cat videos and, and other things. He had no idea. <laughs> he had no conception of where this was going. And, and there's obviously worse things than cats. There's a lot of lies and corruption and misinformation and polarizing and various other elements that are damaging in many ways. So <clears throat> this is, and people are um, wrestling with this all the time. They, they, they polled people about uh, careers. Wh- which careers do you trust the most? And they ranked them from the, I trust these the least to I trust these the most. And of course, the ones on the, the least category were some of the ones that speak a lot and, and uh, haggle, you know, over prices. Like, so you got used car salesmen, poor guys, and, and um, <clears throat> uh, lawyers and politicians and these things. And, uh, you know, pastors were, yeah, we got to work. I mean, we did not, we weren't the worst, but we didn't top the charts either. So my profession, uh, we need to grow on this. But not like nurses and all that. They, they're really a trusted uh, profession. But no one even got 100% trust. It, it just reminds you that uh, we live in a time where where will people have, hear truth? Where will people find trustworthiness? And that should be true of Christians. That should be absolutely pivotal true. Christians should be the ones who are true. This was said in the Psalms. Look how ancient this is and yet so true today. In an age of everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Christians should be, by contrast, be known as those we trust, whose words can be trusted, because truth is God's very nature. We trust God because he's true. We trust the Bible because God is true. And Christians are to reflect this by speaking the truth to their neighbor. It was the truth of the gospel that brought us in. Remember, one of, one of the things we get to Ephesians 6, one of the pieces of the armor was a belt of truth. We're to, we're to address truth about us. It's part of our Christian armor. We're clothed with Christ, and truth is in his character, and so truth should be consistent of us. And think about how truth in character, truth in your actions, truth in who you are, where we don't even, where we admit even the small things, we, we don't even allow little, what we think are little insignificant lies. <clears throat> when a loved one asks, where you been? We tell them the truth. There are certain people in your life who should have complete access to knowing you, how you spend your time and your money, uh, your use of the internet, uh, your life choices. Like, that is not, that's public for uh, people in your life. There's some people in your life who should know that. that that's a healthy thing. That's, that's truth in character. It's being genuine and vulnerable and open. So even small things, we don't, we don't, even want, we don't deal with people in even the small things. Because you know how that works out. Small things become bigger things. You know? and, and that's lying is actually the most common way to deal with a sin. I mean, lying is like your next step. So you sin, I lie. And of course, once you lie to one person, then you got to lie to someone else, cover it up, and then... Oh, then you realize, oh, i got to lie one more time over here. Endless cycle. Endless cycle. And it's just a veneer. That, you know, that wallpaper is eventually going to come off, and you're going to be totally exposed. Anyway, and God sees it all no matter what. And so it's just the truth of the gospel. But what we are, lying is a form of self-justification. Lying is me craving to dress myself, to keep an appearance, to 
to pretend to be someone. Lying is my attempt. It's denying the gospel. Lying, lying denies that I've been clothed with Christ because Christ is the one who clothed me. I can be bold with my sin. I actually can admit embarrassing things. I can talk about who I am because I'm safe in Christ. I'm clothed with Christ. That's who I am. And that's to reflect this because of the work of the Spirit in our lives. So, so lying may have worked for, you know, but let's turn away because it doesn't work. It's really destructive in the community and to ourselves and before God. So in the book of Acts, <clears throat> chapter 5, you may have thought, oh, what about this story? The very first church discipling, discipline case, so the first uh, church discipline case was recorded in Scripture of a couple who lied, Okay. A man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, so they sold a piece of property. So it was a generous time when the early church, they were selling property and giving to the poor. And they could have given part of it, a percent, but they, just, they wanted to act like they gave it all. That, that's what that lie was. They were acting like they gave it all. And what they were doing, they were looking for clothing. They were looking for a righteousness. They were looking to clothe themselves with something. But God revealed to Peter here what was going on. So the apostle Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Satan, I mean, nothing new. Still getting his people to lie. Still at work, no new tricks. And God gave them a very swift judgment because in their case, in the situation, he, the truth was at stake. The truth of the gospel. <clears throat> you see, we proclaim the gospel through our words, but our character also reveals the gospel. Our character also explains the gospel and gives testimony to the truth of the gospel we proclaim. So that's why God so cares about truth speaking in the church, because we reflect him. We reflect him. And this has been God's plan all along. You may not have known this unless you looked at the, there's probably a footnote, but in verse 25, there's an Old Testament quote. There is. It's, it's this phrase, speak the truth, one, each one to his neighbor. Speak the truth, each one to his neighbor. It's, it's almost word for word from the, a quote from the Greek translation of the Old Testament from the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 16. And the context of Zechariah 8 <clears throat> is that God was, ex was expecting a time when he was going to return his people from exile he was going to return them to Mount Zion. They were going to dwell with God. God was going to be in their midst. They were going to all these, you know, east and west, all these nations are going to gather to worship Yahweh. And in the future, he said, they will speak the truth to one another. So in Zechariah, Paul sees that, and he says, this is happening now in the church. This is a fulfillment of God's Old Testament plan, a plan long ago for us to put off lying and to speak the truth. So it's it really puts weight to the verse that he's quoting the Old Testament. That it was a so this church is a fulfillment of God's heart and what He won for this. And just think about it. When you think about that, it's so much bigger and better than you ever realized. One of the key verses in Ephesians one was that God is going to a plan to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. Therefore, putting off lying and speaking the truth is a way for heaven to come to earth. 
Imagine a place where no one lies. No exaggeration, no pretense. Imagine a place where no one is slandered or maligned. Imagine a place where you can trust them 100%. Imagine a place where everyone is accurately represented with grace. Imagine a place where you could be yourself and open up about struggles and honesty. That will definitely be true in heaven. <laughs> but boy, this is the work of the gospel, and it should be true now, Paul is saying, among us. True of us here now as well. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for this great work of salvation that you accomplished in Jesus Christ. And as your church, this great glorious plan, we're excited, Lord, to see how more and more we could reflect Christ in our world to each other, putting off the old man, putting on the new. Thank you that it's already true of us, and yet you're calling us to keep at it, keep being renewed in it, Lord. So thank you for saving us sinners. Thank you for taking that old garment and paying for it on the cross. As we transition to the Lord's Supper, Lord, we, we pray you would move our hearts for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. And <clears throat>